All right, we're in John chapter 19, so using your iPad or iPhone or whatever you use, uh, or a, a good old-fashioned book called the Bible, uh, head to John 19. If you don't have one of those things uh, called the Bible, we can hand one out to you. Just raise your hand nice and high, and the guys in the back will bring a Bible to you. Again, John 19 is where we will uh, begin this morning. We're in the midst of the, uh, the recount, the recollection of John of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Next week, we'll, we'll head into chapter 20 and we'll celebrate Easter out of season together. But it's every, every day is a season for Easter, right? For the resurrection of Christ. So that's where we'll be uh, next week. Let's pray. Lord, we uh, just present ourselves to you this morning and uh, holy present, Lord. We, we, are, we want to be present in mind, body, spirit all here with you lord so anything that's distracting right now any thoughts of what needs to be done at home or what happened last night or things that happened on the way to the church this morning lord i pray all those thoughts would just be squeezed out by a focus and a concentration on you and your word this morning lord um, we we do not want to fall into just ritual just going through the motions but really hearing and heeding what we hear, Lord, examining ourselves this morning and, and seeing where it is, Lord, that our ego would just be, would be cut off, Lord. That anything that, that is self-centered would be dealt with this morning uh, so that we could be free to serve you and to love our neighbors as ourselves. So, Lord, I pray your word would continue to have its way in our lives. You would grow us up into um, maturity, into uh, the image of Jesus Christ in our lives, Lord, that we would use the mind of Christ and and understand the heart of God for ourselves. Lord, just by the power of your Spirit, open up your word to us in Jesus' name. All God's people said, Amen. 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 I, just a, a question to begin with. How many of you have ever bought something and paid more than you should have? <laughs> Why did you do it? Impulsive? Or maybe you just really, really wanted it. I remember when, as a... As a uh, startup when you know with the church now we've been going as a church for about 10 years and when we first started you know Helga got pretty tired of me having my office at home you know because then there's just no delineation between work and home and that can get old really fast so uh, we began to look for an office space and we found the building that maybe you've heard referred to common ground it's now for sale down in uh, Palmyra but I remember when we first were looking at it uh, we were negotiating price and things like that, and I talked to a, a friend of mine in the area who knows a bit about real estate and told him the price, and he said, I, and I remember asking him, is it worth it? And he said to me, well, is it worth it to you? And I thought, oh, that, that makes a lot of sense because something that's not worth it to one person might be really worth it to another. One man's trash is another man's treasure. You know the story. So I got to thinking about the value of something. Value is, is the uh, amount we're willing to trade to get something else. Something has value, and it might have different value to different people. We tend to value things that are rare or things that are hard to get or hard to come by. Uh, but other things have sentimental value. Or love makes maybe something more valuable to someone than, than another th- than it might be to another person. So here's a question. How much would you pay for a hamburger? Can we get a picture of the ham? We got, we got a couple pictures. No, that's me. That's not a ham. That's a ham, not a hamburger. There we go. 
It sort of looks like me still, but how much would you pay for a hamburger? Anybody? Five bucks? Twenty dollars. That's a good hamburger. You like your hamburgers, don't you? Some guys are going, hey, man, that's a, I like that boy. Well, how about at Le Burger Extravagance, sold at Serendipity 3 in New York City, this deliciously expensive burger is held together with a solid gold diamond-encrusted toothpick for the price of $295. So you go, you know, I would not pay that for a hamburger. All right, well, how about a hotel room? Maybe you have to go stay somewhere. Maybe you need a hotel room. How about if you were staying in Geneva, you could stay at the penthouse suite in the Hotel President Wilson in Geneva. It's got 10 rooms and 7 bathrooms. It can be yours for $65,000 a night. See, now somebody's staying there, right? They wouldn't have it if nobody stayed there. So to somebody, they go, hotel room, 10 rooms, 7 bathrooms, 65 grand, that's worth it. I'm thinking, oh, man. All right, well, moving right along here. We've got a couple of more, a couple more to look at. How about speakers? This is the speaker system we, uh, we contemplated here for the church. <laughs> it was either that or the building. Uh, tra- we could be sitting outside with great speakers, and that would be it, you know, raining on us and... Transmission audio ultimate system weighing in at over five tons. These units are made out of aircraft aluminum and span nearly 40 feet for $2 million for speakers. Some of you guys are going, I could use those in my car. (laughs) Now, everybody needs a yacht, right? Everybody needs a yacht. Made with over 100,000 kilograms of gold and decorated with everything from T-Rex bones to miniature meteorites, this unfortunate case of what the heck do I do with $5 billion is owned by a Malaysian businessman. And if you haven't had enough yet, how much would you pay for a parking spot? Now in Palmyra at Calvary Chapel... That's a valuable commodity these days. So we're all thinking about a fundraiser here in Manhattan. If you want that parking spot located in eight-story luxury condominium building at 66 East 11th Street in downtown Manhattan, you can have this parking spot that's worth more than six times the national price of a single-family home at $1 million. million dollars for a place to park your well, you can't park your yacht there, but hey, if you've got a $5 billion yacht, you park it anywhere you want, right? Now, there's one more question I have. What's the cost of freedom? What's the, now, even better, what's the cost of your freedom? You. Now, the Bible tells us that you were bought with a price, and it wasn't with gold or silver or anything that's, that's perishable, any of those things. You were bought with what? The precious blood of Jesus Christ. You were redeemed. So as we turn in, in John 19, go there with me. This is, the, this is the thought that I was thinking because people struggle with understanding their value. And, and I, you know, look, I'm not trying to go all psychologist on you, okay? But this is a reality. People struggle with their feeling of, of worth 
And a lot of you, maybe you grew up in a home where all you heard from parents or father, especially maybe you young guys in here, all you heard from your father was, you're no good. You never measured up, you never could, or, or, or maybe your mother, just you could never please her, never satisfy her. And, and all you felt growing up was that you were worthless. And if I asked for a show of hands, I'll bet you a very, very large percentage in here would say, I understand that feeling. And then so you come to this thing called Christianity, you hear about this God of the Bible, and then what you mistake is that you feel that he feels about you the way your parents felt about you and the way that you feel about yourself. And nothing could be farther from the truth. And as we study through, uh, what I'm trying to do is the cross, as we look at the story of the cross, the account of the cross in the Gospel of John, on one hand, it's, it's, it's very historical, it's very medical, uh, it's very practical in that way, but there's a lot more going on, and so I'm trying to bring out a couple of these things. What does the cross mean to me? Like, why does it matter? Right? I mean, we can all go here, away from here with a lot of facts about the cross. We can tell about, you know, how I, I explained to you the scourging that happened, and the, the trial that happened, and the mocking that happened, and all of these things, as we, we bring these to a close, I explained to you in detail the horrific nature of crucifixion in, in the Roman times. And, and, and that's wonderful. You can all leave here history experts. But who cares? And, and to me, I'm a very practical nuts and bolts guy. I say, what is that? So what? What does that mean for my life? Because anybody, or well, Paul says in Romans, somebody might die for a good man. And maybe even someone would lay down their life for someone who was righteous. But for someone who, like me, for, for an unknown like you, you know, maybe someone would die for someone famous or someone considered you know, to be a great person. But who are we? I mean, we're like nobodies. We live here in Palmyra. Nobody knows where that is. And when you try to tell people like, to where you're from and you say Fluvanna, they look at you cross-eyed like, Flu What? What's a fluvanna? Right? Anybody else get that? I get that all the time. Like, they chuckle, you fluvanna. What is that? What kind of places that you... We're like nobodies from nowhere. Who cares about us? But God cares. He says, while you were yet sinners, I died for you. You remember the, the man who, who has big barns and he acquires more stuff and he builds bigger barns and, and, he, and he hears the message... Tonight your soul is required of you. And what, what's, what can you pay for your soul? I mean, what perishable thing? Could, so you can have a $5 billion yacht, but can you trade that for your soul? On the, the day that you die, you're going to say, hey, I want to I I be in, in heaven because I got a $5 billion yacht. Is that what it takes? Is it money that you can buy? It's not. But here's the thing that amazes me is that God found us valuable enough. He placed enough value on our lives. And, and this is the God of the universe. He owns the cattle, the cattle on every hill. You know that. Everything is his. And he could have bought us with money. He could have come to, to do a business transaction that way, but he didn't. How valuable were you and I to him? Really. Valuable enough that he said, it's worth my life. It's worth my life. You individually not not just us collectively but you individually are so valuable to god that he was willing to give his life 
for you to acquire your freedom. And now, any of those thoughts you have about how you grew up and how other people, you don't set your value based on other people and what they, how they value you. You set your value based on God and what he values of you. True or not true? Is this talking to anybody this morning about their value? Because now you have to be willing to give up all your arguments about yourself and how you have no value. Because I've just told you clearly from God's word that you do have value, if not to anybody else on earth. Matter of fact, in Hebrews chapter 11, at the end of that, uh, the writer of Hebrews talks about all the people that were, were suffered tremendously for the gospel. And he says, these were men of whom the world was not worthy. The world didn't deserve them. The world didn't value them. The world didn't deserve them. Interesting. To me, it's fascinating because I have to remember that. So all of this to bring us back to John 19, verse 28. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the Scripture might be fulfilled. And again, that's all that's happening. All that John is recording is a series of breadcrumbs leading us to the undeniable fact that Jesus was who he says he was. And if he wasn't, look, let's be honest. If Jesus wasn't who he said he was, by the time they're getting ready to crucify me, I'm going, okay, guys, I recant. I, I'm, not, I'm not the Savior. I'm not God in the flesh. I give up. Right? I'm, the cross would be enough to motivate me to come out with the honest story if I was lying. Wouldn't it motivate you to do such? Sure. So, but he can't. He can't. He can't. The one thing God, well, there's a few things God can't do. He can't change the past. He also can't deny himself. God can never deny himself. So it would be impossible for him to say he's anything other than who he truly is. And all of these are breadcrumbs. And, and Jesus came. He knew why he was here. And all this was accomplished. And he, then he says these two words, I thirst. Now probably from a medical standpoint, what's happening? He's probably in hypovolemic shock. Which means that he has lost a tremendous amount of blood. And not just the blood, but the blood plasma is what causes a person to, uh, to go into hypovolemic shock. His blood volume is low. He's lost so much blood on the, during the scourging because of the nails in the cross. All of that is happening. Um, and, and now he's, he's sensing. And one of the things John is trying to make his readers know, which isn't so hard for us today but was then, is that Jesus was human. He felt deep thirst. He had a body, a real physical body. And that's, at their time, they thought Jesus was only spirit, that when he walked, he didn't leave footprints. And they, had a, they were okay with that, but they didn't believe he was human. So John is really emphasizing, he says, I thirst. Now a vessel full of sour wine was sitting there, and they filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on hyssop, that reminds you of uh, back to the Exodus and the Passover, the Passover, and put it in his mouth. So there's a vessel, the, the soldiers that crucified him, uh, it was a common thing, they would keep barrels of this sour wine, like a vinegar kind of wine, and that would be, I, call it, I don't see it as so refreshing, but it was hard work to crucify somebody. So the soldiers would, would uh, console themselves and, and, and um, comfort themselves by having a glass of this wine, this sour wine, after they were finished. And so somebody runs over, they hear Jesus say, I thirst, and they run over to give him this drink. He had rejected a drink earlier that was mixed with gall, and that was because that was a poison. 
And so this one is, is, the, not, this is the pure sour wine, and, and, and so he drinks it. And when he had received the sour wine, Jesus had re- received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. Jesus um, died when it was time to die, when it was finished. Uh, this statement here, again, three words in our English, one word in the Greek, is probably the most concise yet important statement ever uttered in the history of the world. It is so rich and so full, and, and we'll talk about that uh, in detail here in just a moment. Um, he says this is finished. Uh, Greek word again, tetelestai. Uh, it, it literally means, and it's used in a number of contexts. If you were an artist, and, and anybody here, if you're an artist, and you draw a picture, how do you ever know when it's done, right? You can always keep adding to it or fixing it, but finally, when you know that it's done, you would stand back and you'd look at your painting, you'd breathe and you'd say, Tetelestai, it's finished. If you were a servant and your master had given you orders to carry out, when you had carried out those orders, you would come and you would report to your master, you would say, Tetelestai. It's been accomplished, it's been finished, it's been completed. Or one more example, if you were a businessman and people owed you money and they were paying you back, then when they paid you back, you would put on the bill, you would stamp it with not, you know, not paid in full, that's English, in the Greek you would t- stamp it to telestai, and that means paid in full, that a, that a, a debt has been fully paid. All of those are, are the types and shades of the meanings of this one word. And so when he, the other three gospel writers acknowledge that, that only John records these words. But the other three gospel writers say that Jesus um, cried out with a loud voice. And they don't tell us what he cried out. John tells us what he cried out. He cried out, it is finished. And I would love to have been there. You know, from the, with his last breath. He says, it is finished. And that is um, so important for us to understand and to know and and to believe. Because what was finished? Well, like a master and a servant, Jesus had accomplished the will of, of of his father. He had done everything that he had come to do. It was done. There was nothing more to do. Just like after creation, the sixth day, God created the seventh day, he rested. Why? It was finished. It was good. It was very good. And so here, the act of not creation, but the act of salvation, when it's done, it's done. It's finished. Nothing more to do. And hey, listen, let's be honest. A lot of you guys are still trying to finish it. He didn't say it's partially done. I'll meet you halfway. I got it started for you, but now you got to finish it. Is any of that appropriate for this? I think Jesus was like an endurance athlete. You know, and it, maybe if you compete in, in, in endurance athletics, you, some of you guys know I love to ride my bicycle. I, I love to ride bikes. And, and sometimes we go on rides up to 100 miles. And there's times when you're at about 50 miles, you're going, I don't know if I can finish this thing. You know, I'm tired. I just want to go, I, you know, but by the time you're halfway in, it's just the same to finish as it is to go, to go back. So you keep, and when you cross that finish line, you, and, and you know where that finish line, and the race is done, there's a tremendous sense of, of accomplishment. And I could cross that line and say, Tetelestai, it's finished. 
I did it. I've accomplished it. And we know Jesus was an endurance athlete from those in that standpoint. I use that metaphorically because in Hebrews chapter 12, what does it say? He endured the cross, despising the shame. He endured the shameful treatment, the mocking from from people. He He had to go through all of that. And at the end of your life, I wonder if on the grave, on your gravestone, it could be engraved, to tell us, die, it's finished. I've passed, I've run my race, I've finished my course. And now it's laid up for me, this crown in heaven. I mean, that's the deal. This life is not a sprint, it's a marathon. You know that. And, and Jesus here, like a master uh, and a servant, he says, it's finished. What has God given you to do? That you go, you know, it's hard. I'm kind of tired of doing this. Tired of this church thing. You know, I'm tired of getting up Sunday morning and I'm tired of doing what the Lord called me to do. I'm tired of being committed. Sometimes I feel like I need to be committed. You know what I'm saying. You go crazy. But also, looking at it from the standpoint of of sacrifice for sin, you know, this was the final and ultimate sacrifice for sin, according to the sacrificial system, Jesus was it. The sacrificial system, no more need for sacrifice. It's done. No more need to try to appease God. Maybe you've read that word propitiation in your Bible, and you go, I have no idea what that word means. I can't even spell it. I spit on people when I say it. And it means to appease, uh, to appease someone, to appease uh, the anger of someone. To set someone's angry, you know, and you've got to try to, you know, try to appease that anger. Oh, settle down, settle down. I was a bouncer in bars for years. I understand propitiation, trying to appease someone who's upset and angry. And Jesus was it. He, he, so it was finished. So those of you that feel that, that God is angry at you, you've accepted Christ, you've, you've believed, and you feel, oh, I think God is angry at me. The Bible says Jesus Christ said it's finished. God's not, he, he's not angry with you. All of that anger, all the wrath against sin, all of it poured out on Christ. Not mostly, not some, not partially. It is what? Finished. Everything, look, everything we do as Christians is not because we're trying to earn God's love, but because we have it. I'm not trying to earn God's love. I'm not trying to manipulate God to do good things for me. You know, if we as earthly fathers love to give good gifts to our children, how much more God wants to give good gifts. It's not about trying to earn God or manipulate God to do this or that. He already loves you as much as he ever could. And that's why we do what we do. Because we look at the cross and we say, I don't know why he would do that for me. I don't deserve it. I'm not worthy of it. But for some reason, he's found me valuable enough. And therefore, the only thing I have to return my thanks to him is my life in return. And and that's what we present ourselves, living sacrifices. He said it's finished, and, and finally, we were like, uh, like people that had a huge debt that Jesus then said, paid in full. It, all of our debt paid. And bowing his head, again, he gave up his spirit. He, he died when it was time. He, he finally laid down his head on earth. He had nowhere to lay his head. At the cross, when it was finished, it's like, okay, I can rest. And we're called to enter into that rest enter into the rest of, it's finished. It's finished. Some of you really need to go home and think about that. 
because you're still under the struggle and the condemnation of religious system. And you have no joy in your life. And you have no, you, everything is an obligation. Everything is, is full of huge weight and guilt if you don't do what you think you're supposed to do. And all of that, when you get the grace of God, all of that disappears. If you don't want to do it, don't do it. It's not a matter of your salvation. It's done. It's taken care of. Verse 31, therefore, because it was the preparation day that was for the Sabbath, you, you did all your preparation for the Sabbath, so that on the Sabbath you didn't have to do any work, that the body should not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for the Sabbath was a high day, meaning that it was not just a normal Saturday, a normal Sabbath day, it was the Saturday connected to the Passover, so it was like a doubly important day. And, and one of their rules for the Jews was that if, you, if a person was hung on a tree, you couldn't leave them there overnight. They had to be brought off the tree. The, the Romans, they didn't care. They'd leave you on the tree, and, and then, or they'd take you off if they needed the cross for somebody else, and they'd put you there, and the dogs would eat you, and the vultures would tear you up, and that was, the way they, that was the way they treated your body. The Jews had a little more class than that, and they would take the body down. And so they asked the Romans to do that. Um, they, so the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. So if uh, someone was lingering on the cross, because again, you die on the cross from asphyxiation and blood loss and all those things, mostly from asphyxiation because you're hanging down and you've pre- you got the spikes in your feet, the spikes in your hands, and to draw a breath, you know, when you're hanging, it's impossible for you to get a deep breath because of the position of your diaphragm. So you've got to pull up, and you can expand your diaphragm, get a, a, a somewhat of a breath. You could never get a deep breath on the cross. You were always losing your breath. I can't imagine that feeling. That gives me panic attacks, personally. I, I get those but when I can't get a deep breath. And so I can, I can imagine the panicky feeling that you would have. So but you had to push up with your legs and pull up with your arms. Extremely painful. So if they wanted to hasten your death, they would come by with a mallet and break your legs. Then you now are only pulling up with the, the nails in your wrists. And so it really, it would hasten the death a lot quicker. So they would go and they would break the legs. I'm glad you know that now, aren't you? Then the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who was crucified with him. So there were two others that were crucified just next to him. Their legs, they were still alive. Their legs were broken. Uh, But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. He'd already already died. He could have lasted days and weeks. He He wasn't trying to hold on to his life. Do you understand that? Jesus wasn't trying to hold on to everything he had in this world. He knew where he was from. And he knew where he was going. And as soon as his work was accomplished, he was ready to go. He laid down his life, gave up his spirit. It was, it was a willing thing that he did. So his legs didn't, be broken, uh, didn't need to be broken. Uh, but one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and immediately blood and water came out. Uh, again, from a medical standpoint, uh, pericardial effusion His heart had been, some would say Jesus died literally of a broken heart. His heart had worked so hard and had been under so much trauma that it had become inflamed and the sack around his heart had filled with fluid. And so, and for those those that may say, well, Jesus didn't really die on the cross. He just sort of swooned. Uh, You know, try getting a, a spear pierced in your side and living through that when blood and water pour out. Jesus really died on the cross. And his, his side gets pierced. A soldier's life touched by this. 
We read that in another gospel. And out comes blood and, and water, which are, interestingly, just a side note, other than the medical standpoint, blood and water are also the fluids of birth. And so in a way, Jesus' death is giving birth to the church and to our, our new lives. Just you know, do with that what you will. It's just kind of a side, a side note for your consideration. But look what, look what um, John says about this. And he who has seen has testified, and his testimony is true, and he knows that he's telling the truth so that you may believe. John takes a minute out of, out of his gospel, and he says, now look, I saw this with my own eyes. And he was there. This was John, the, the disciple who was there. And Jesus said to him, you know, Mary, behold your son. And, and John begins to take care of Mary uh, from that day forward. John's there at the cross. He says, I saw this happen. And again, convincing those that thought Jesus wasn't really human. And he takes a minute to say, I have seen this with my own eyes. And I am willing to testify in any court in the court of human history, that what I'm saying is absolutely and utterly true. And I'm telling it to you. And I was there. Eyewitness account, one of the most compelling in court, right? It's not secondhand. This is an eyewitness account. And I'm telling you so that you might believe. And I don't know where you are in, in your life with belief in Jesus Christ or who he said he was or, or any of that belief in the, the validity of the Bible. I don't know where you are with all that. But here's a historical person the disciple John, telling you and I that he wants you to know this so that you can believe. So what are you waiting for? And this is not just a belief. Yeah, I believe it. This is the kind of belief that's spoken of in the Bible is the kind of belief that changes your life, is the kind of belief that changes the way you live. It's like talking about your value. If you believe you lack value, if you believe, that, then you act a certain way based on your belief. But if your belief changes, guess what else changes? Your behavior. You have to embrace a new truth in your life. And that changes the way you live. And so John is trying to get you and I to embrace a new truth that changes the way we live. And all of this, again, for these things, verse 36, were done that the Scripture should be fulfilled. Not one of his bones shall be broken. That was a <clears throat> prediction about uh, one of those breadcrumbs about the Messiah. And, again, another scripture says, they shall look on him whom they pierced. That's in Zechariah chapter 12. All of these things, breadcrumbs, little breadcrumbs, fulfillments of things that were said uh, would be true about the Messiah. And John says, see, these are just things that are clearly pointing to the fact that Jesus is who he says he is. And there were, there's a lot more through here. I'm not telling you all of them. There are many. I think there are some 300 predictions in Jesus' life not just about his death, but his life, his birth, uh, all of these things that point to him. It's unmistakable. You might say a lot of things about Jesus, but you can't say that he didn't fulfill all that was said of the Messiah. He, he, he fulfilled it all. After this, verse 38, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took the body of Jesus and Nicodemus, who at first came to Jesus by night, also came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pounds. About a hundred pounds. So we're, we're brought back to two guys, both of whom we're familiar with, more familiar with Nicodemus. You guys remember Nicodemus, right? 
He's the one that comes to Jesus at night, and Jesus talks about being born again. This guy was a, a Bible scholar, to, of, of all Bible scholars, and Jesus explains to him about the need to be born again. Joseph of Arimathea, a wealthy man, both of these guys part of the upper class, the upper echelon with their $5 billion yachts. And I mean, they had it made. They were politicians in some ways. They were part of the Jewish ruling body. They had a lot at stake. And they were believers, but secretly. Why? Why couldn't they come out about their belief in Jesus? They saw what happened to other people that believed in Jesus. Excommunicated. Cut off from their community. Which to them would mean cut off from their power cut off from their wealth, cut off from their position. They stood to lose a lot. And I, and I find that true of people today. You know, the, the, the people that stand to lose a lot have a harder time. You know, this is why it's very hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Because maybe that person stands to lose a lot in believing in Jesus. I'm talking earthly, right? You know, you really don't have a lot. I mean, everything that you have earthly is all temporary. So you stand to lose a lot by not believing in Jesus, but you know what I mean. It's a cost, and, and it's clear. The Bible says count the cost. Count the cost. And so Joseph of Arimathea, they had stayed secret. Why? For fear of the Jews. And, I, and I just, we, understand, we, can, we can understand that. We can relate to that, can't we? How it feels to, maybe at work, you know, you realize that maybe you work in a, in a place where there's, uh, it's a very liberal boss or whatever, no, someone who's very against religion or against Christianity. And so, you know, you just kind of keep it quiet, what you believe. And, and so Joseph Arimathea was right there, and so was Nicodemus. Where, where were they when the court, when the, when the trial was happening of Jesus and they were condemning him to death? Can you imagine what was going on in their hearts? Like, oh, we really need to speak up, and, but, oh, you know, torn. You ever felt like that? Just like absolutely torn, wanting to speak up and say something, but feeling like, what's going to happen if I do? And, and, but the crucifixion, the death of Jesus, brought about in some, something in them that his life never did. A willingness to be identified with him. A willingness to be identified with him. And so at that point, they no longer cared about position. They no longer cared about power. There comes a time in your life where, where some circumstance happens to you and all those things you thought were important, what, what, you know, the way you dress and you know, the way you look in the mirror and all that stuff, all that, none of that matters. And you just go, you know, who cares? Who cares about all that stuff? Why am I worried about what people think? Why am I not worried about what God thinks? Why am I not worried about being, able, being willing to be attached to him? What are we scared of? Who are we trying to please? Who are we trying to impress? And so Joseph Arimathea and, and Nicodemus, they team up, and it's always good to have someone else with you, isn't it? That sort of gives us strength. And so when sometimes I invite invitation, come down, accept Christ, and it's like, oh, I don't know. What are people going to say? Then they're going to know I have a problem. We, we already know you got problems. Because we got problems too, right? That's why we're here. Not because we don't have problems, because we do. Only that we're willing to admit it. People that don't come in are the ones that aren't willing to admit it yet. Jesus said, I came to heal the sick, not the healthy. But sometimes it's nice if someone who you're with just grabs you by the hand and says, come on, I'll go down with you. I'll go down with you. And Nicodemus and, and Joseph of Arimathea uh, stood together in this. And they brought myrrh and aloes and 100 pounds. They, they, they finally, and that was sort of the, 
the demonstration of, of, of that willingness to, to I want to be extravagant. You know, I, this is, see, they value Jesus. Finally, then, they demonstrated that value. That's expensive stuff. That costs a lot. And what I find also very interesting, I try to put myself in the scene. Can you imagine, I wonder how many tears Joseph shed as he wrapped that body. That beaten, that, Isaiah 53 said his, his, his visage was marred more than any other man. He was beaten to unrecognizable. And his back and his hands and his body and his, the, the, the hole, the piercing in his side that Thomas will eventually put his hand in at the resurrection. And as they wrapped his limp, lifeless body, I wonder if there was regret in Joseph or, or, or just in what emotion is he, did he cry as they wrapped the body and prepared it for burial. Again, they have no idea what's going to happen in a couple of days. Now the place, uh, I'm sorry, go back. Then they took the body of Jesus, bound it in strips of linen with the spices as the custom of the Jews is to bury. So they wrapped the body in spices. They didn't do embalming. They didn't do all that. The body would begin to decay. The, the, um, uh, the aloe, the, the spices would help the odor just to be frank about it. Um, now, in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden. And in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. So there they laid Jesus because of the Jews' preparation day, for the tomb was nearby. A couple of things here, and then we'll bring it to a close. Um, there was a garden. Uh, there was a tomb nearby. It was a day of preparation. In other words, they only had a few hours Right? When we started this in chapter uh, 19, verse 28, um, there, was noon, uh, there was darkness from noon to 3. And then it was at 3 o'clock that um, Jesus cried out, it is finished. At sundown would be 6 p.m. That's when the Sabbath was, would begin. So they had just a limited period of time to take care of wrapping his body and getting him in the tomb. They had to take it down from the cross. Oh, I can, Im- can you imagine what it must have been like to remove his body from the cross? The, the, the weight. And, and so then they had to find a place to bury him. And Joseph had a tomb which he was uh, more than willing to give. No one had been laid there. And it's nearby. Now, if you go to Israel with us on one of our trips, you see the pictures. Uh, there's the, tr- the, the spot now that is felt to be the most likely spot of both the crucifixion and the burial uh, fit all of this. You go to, the, to Golgotha. There's the, the hillside that looks like a skull. The place of crucifixion. And, you know, it's funny. When you go to Israel, you, you have a different perspective because it's only uh, not even 100 yards away. Not even that, the, where, where the tomb is. And they're like right next to each other. I don't know what you pictured in your mind, but for me, the first time I went, that blew my mind. I was like, wow, it's right there. And it's a garden. They found uh, evidence of a deep cistern for watering uh, plants and, and vines and whatever else that would have been in the garden. So it all, it all fits in to the picture and, and that's where they lay Jesus' body. And that's where we'll end for today uh, with the burial of Jesus Christ. Now, Joseph, little did he know, Jesus would only need it for the weekend. Uh, but that's another story altogether. So if I can invite uh, Nick back up. So you get to go home today and you get to think about your value.
the value that God places on you. That you were redeemed. That's what it means to be redeemed, to be bought out of slavery. Slavery to the, the world system. Slavery to consumerism. Slavery to sinful thinking, sinful practices. Bought out of all that. Redeemed from this rotten world to be able to think differently, to be able to live differently. Different husbands, different children, different workers, different lives, all together. There's a whole new life. And of course, on the, none of this may mean very much to you now. I know to some of you it means a great deal. But the Bible says it's given unto man once to die and then the judgment. And I believe the greatest, the greatest hell, you know, of course we know it's separation from God, separation from light and from love and from truth and all that God is eternally. Uh, I wonder if one of the greatest things, the, the greatest sufferings of hell will be regret. In that, the, the gnashing of teeth. In that I knew, I sat in church on September 14th and I heard the preacher preaching. And then on that day of judgment, the day when, when your debt is called forth and, and the list of all, that you've, all the sin you've purchased in your life is laid before you. And you realize that you rejected the payment. You reject someone who's going to pay off your account. Some of you probably carry credit card debt. Imagine if someone showed up right now and said, I'm going to pay off all your credit card debt right now. Instant. You said, nah, no thanks. I'll pay it myself. You got nothing, you got nothing to pay it with. You are broke, spiritually uh, speaking. And so I think the greatest thing, the greatest difficulty, for me, I mean, as I think about it, I hate regret. Man, I, I don't like to do stuff I regret. I'm very careful with how I live. We all have things we regret. But, man, regret stinks. And here you are hearing it, again, maybe for the 30,000th time. I mean, and on that day of judgment, that's when that cross may mean more to you than anything. When, when God opens the books and all of your debt has a cross it, there's Steve Fedden goes, you know, from, uh, you know, what I did when I was this age and that age and on forth. And, oh, my goodness, I forgot about that. And, oh, you knew about that? And, and across all of it, it says to die, paid in full. Enter in. Enter in. Today could be the day of salvation for you. So let's pray, and then we'll sing a closing song. Father. Uh, for those of us here that have embraced by uh, faith the grace you've offered us, the forgiveness of sins, the, the eternal uh, salvation, the eternal payment, the eternal redemption, Lord, um, for those of us that have understood and cared and entered in, Lord, I pray that as we close that our hearts will be filled with joy and filled with thanksgiving as we recognize that, um, that it's not just in this life but uh, in eternity that these things matter. And Father, I pray for anybody sitting on the fence or, or hemming and hawing that they would consider, hear and consider what's been spoken today and, um, and that you'd begin by your Spirit to lead them, to draw them near to you, just as you drew uh, so many people throughout history to yourself through the message of the cross. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you want to uh, pray, if you need to be saved, 
Uh, if you want to give your life to Christ, just come down here. I'll be sitting on the steps over here. Uh, be glad to speak with you about those things.